Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Frolic, and I invite you to cozy up with me each week as I explore all aspects of the spiritual journey, spiritual biohacking, and expanding the mind beyond this reality. Remember that the collective awakening can start by planting one seed. So thanks for being such an amazing audience and sharing these shows with your family and friends. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode and find out what we're discovering today. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. I am Nicole Frolic, one of your co-hosts, and today I'm your only co-host. I get today's guest all to myself, and we have a new guest uh, on the show today, Peter Moon. Peter was born and raised in California and is primarily known for his investigation of space and time projects, particularly the Montauk Project, a series of mind control experiments that were conducted at Montauk Point, New York during the 70s and early 80s and were reported to have resulted in full-scale experiences of time travel. His work caught the attention of time control scientist Dr. David Anderson, who at the time had the Time Travel Research Center on Long Island. Dr. Anderson eventually brought Peter to Romania in 2008, where he has paved the way for him to investigate other space-time projects as discussed in the books known as the Transylvania series, one of which includes what has been called the most amazing archaeological artifact in the history of mankind, a chamber that contains a holographic record of the Earth's history, as well as holographic readouts of human DNA and also other species. Peter's own journeys into Romania have become legendary. Peter! Welcome to the show. So great to have you on today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Wow. This is so interesting. You know, we have yet to really discuss time travel and we have yet to discuss the Montauk Project, which are two very interesting topics to me. And um, I'm a huge fan of the TV show Stranger Things. And so um, I'm curious to hear your take on that show and if they're accurate in any way or in any of that. I've never watched it, so I can't. Oh, okay. Well, um, so where, how did you get into the, um, the time travel stuff? Like where did it all start and begin for you? I met Preston Nichols at a uh, meeting of the Long Island Psychotron, the United States Psychotronics Association chapter on Long Island. And that was a group that discussed how the human spirit and mind and body interfaced with electronics. And that they, they used to meet on Long Island uh, twice a month. This was back in the early 90s, 1990. And uh, I met Preston at that because I was uh, advised to meet him because of, he was an inventor and I was told he needed help. Uh, with uh, marketing. And that's what I was into at the time. So I, that's where I went to meet him. And I heard this incredible story about Montauk. And he was not the only one on the panel that evening. There was Duncan Cameron, who was the main time traveler in the project. And sitting next to me in the audience was Al Bielek, who was also involved in the project. So it was a small audience, um, but it was very riveting information. And I became interested. I, you know, attended meetings for about six months, visited Preston's lab, and then I decided to uh, make an arrangement with him to to do a book. That's how I got involved. Wow. So what information was coming out at that um, meetup or meeting that really grabbed your attention? 
Well, actually, interestingly enough, they kept mentioning about Nazis being out at Montauk. And that, like, just really gripped my attention. He said there was a big Nazi contingent out at Montauk. And, and it, it was involved. It wasn't just a, you know, uh, you know, capricious comment. It was, and, and then I found out there was, you know, Long Island was a huge uh, German compound. I actually found, I mean, it, it's, there's still plenty of existence in Yapik, Long Island, which is right next to Brookhaven Labs, was a huge contingent of Germans. Uh, they had um, a Bavarian meeting house where they still use to this day, not necessarily Germans, but they had German gardens Camp and Camp Siegfried side by side, which at one time were only for Germans up to about the 1880s. You had to be of Germanic ancestry to live there, which is, of course, extremely racist in today's culture. And it was then that's why they had to discontinue the practice. But uh, yes, and, and they used to have meetings there in the night. It was the biggest concentration of uh, national socialists outside of Germany. Really? Yes, really. Wow. But, okay. Well, I mean, it grabbed my attention. That really grabbed. Yeah, I can imagine so. That's pretty attention grabbing. Um, so the radio waves that they're that they were using um, on these individuals on the human minds uh, were how were they being used to control them? Were they being used to also activate them at various points um, later on in life? Uh, kind of like sleepers. All of the above was possible and potential. And there was an infinite uh, array of experiments and whatever worked, worked. But as Preston Nichols has said, no method of mind control they, they could use or would use was completely workable. There would always be flaws. It would not apply to everybody. So yes, there, there are people who get triggered and people who respond, just like in the Manchurian Candidate movie, the original one. So, so it's like, for for everything you can imagine. Yes, people can be hypnotized. Some people are hypnotizable. Some are not. Some are suggestible. Some are not. Some are programmable. So it's it's whatever worked based upon the predisposition of the individual. Okay, and the Montauk projects. Were they were they were started kind of in the Cold War? So were they? I were they used to um, activate people with intuitive abilities to spy on the Russians? Well, that was part of what gave rise to a project like Montauk because Russians have always used, and Eastern European countries, not just the Russians, have always used the psychic aspect of mankind in their you know war departments so like say in the moscow aviation institute they would have those type of people working side by side with the engineers now in america they were you know a little slow to the punch so that they began becoming actively interested in this and it was out of that interest and desire that they actually developed their own remote viewing programs as early as the 1960s, and these were um, these were developed into 
and refined and consolidated at Montauk during the early 1970s is when they began and developed into full-blown ability to control and influence matter, energy, space, and time. The most exotic experiments occurring in the 1980s prior to August 12th, 1980, and including August 12th, 1983, which is when the Montauk project climaxed and was for the most part over after that date. So controlling time, it um, it sounds like what you talked about having, um, you caught the attention of David Anderson, who was a control, a time control scientist. What exactly is a time control scientist? Because for most people, they believe time control is very fictional. Right. Well, it's important to state, uh, before I answer that question about Dr. Anderson and time control science, is that this book uh, was released in 1992, and, and it had a lot of uh, wild aspects and stories into it. Preston Nichols and I began a journalistic investigation to try and corroborate and even prove that the Montauk Project existed. Well, we did a very thorough job. And recently I released uh, the 25th year silver anniversary edition of the Montauk Project, which includes a blow-by-blow description of the journalistic investigation. And the only thing, it also includes uh, a blow-by-blow description of the occult investigation, which was separate, but they both dovetailed together. Uh, But the only thing the journalistic investigation did not have was a corroboration or proof of actual time control. We had, we we demonstrated uh, and have video of them using um, illegal transmissions emanating from Camp Hero as, as late as the 1990s. We also have animals acting crazy in the vicinity of the Montauk Air Force Station, Camp Hero. So we were able to, and we even got the whole state park changed into a state park instead of a secret project, which it was, was operating illegally on a state park. So we we made a lot of changes, but we didn't have any proof or corroboration of time travel. Well, then because we used to have monthly meetings separate from Psychotronics, um, which was Montauk night, once a month in, Mont- in uh, Long Island, Dr. Anderson had already been subscribing to my newsletter, The Montauk Pulse, which is a quarterly publication. I have published, still do to this day in 1993. I would also add in, if anybody is interested in these books, uh, they can go to skybooksusa.com and you know read a summary of the books and publications that are available. But um, they're also available in ebook form. But Dr. Anderson had a time control research center on Long Island at that time, in Hopog, Long Island, in an, in an industrial park. And he, at that time, he was experimenting with small uh, fields where he could control time, about the size of a soccer ball, where he could slow time down or speed it up. And this was heavily funded by the medical industry who wanted to be able to put an organ in stasis, a vital organ like a heart or a liver or a kidney, and keep it there uh, in its state, a living, fresh state, so for transplant purposes. So 
that was the initial funding. But the way he learned of this was through his work in the Air Force when he was trying to enable satellites to maintain their position in space so they wouldn't drift. So the technology he used there and the studies he did there led him to the idea that time and space itself could be warped. When he left the Air Force, he patented the algorithms and processes by which this could be done, and he developed the Time Travel Research Center. And it actually was very tractable in terms of its ability to control time or speed it up in a small area. But over the years, he would learn from his technology. He would learn and he would basically learn. Well, he, his theory is very clear and very simple. And in 2008, he brought me to an island in Romania to uh, attend a camp where he wanted me to lecture and participate in the camp. It was for artists, writers, and scientists. And this was held, it's still to this day, held once a year in Romania. And at that camp, not the first year I was there, but the second year, he lectured extensively on time travel and the theories about, it took me about six years before I understood this what he, I learned from him well enough to put it into first my newsletter. And he was so impressed with the newsletter. He said, nobody's had the patience to write this down and make it so simple. So I then took that and I made videos and I created, founded the Time Travel Education Center, which anybody can go to and they can learn the simple math and physics, which demonstrates that time travel is within the bounds of ordinary math and physics. It doesn't require quantum physics. It doesn't require uh, going faster than the speed of light. It's all a matter of simple math and physics. That's the theory. Creating an actual time device, which he calls the time reactor, is another story. But over the years, he was able to develop this to the point where he stated on more than one broadcast that he can send people back in time forwards and backwards in time. And he can do this um, rather unlimitedly. The only problem that with this incredible breakthrough is there's a tremendous amount of censorship involved around it. Mm -hmm. This this takes us into, when you get involved in heavy censorship and secrecy, you're now moving into the corridors of the occult. And this is something that I also specialized in um, when I uh, got involved with the Montauk research, because you have strange, you know, stranger things, no pun intended, uh, happening in, in your uh, mental and energetic field. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, did Dr. Anderson ever share with you some of the experiences that people were having that he sent back in time and brought back? No, he's never shared those. The only thing, kind of how it came up, and I, I wasn't asking him uh, about that, but I said, I asked him, what's the funniest thing you've ever seen in all your research? You know, when you're doing your research, what's 
what's the funniest or most amusing thing? And he said, when people would be exposed to the field. Now, he didn't say whether they were inside the field or outside of the field, but when they were exposed to it, they would see that reality wasn't quite what uh, it was, you know, presented to be. They would see reality in, you know, suspension or that reality was malleable. He didn't use those words, but that's when these people would basically see this and they would often laugh and just, wow. Or they would just see life. They'd have a profound change by witnessing this. The closest I ever got to it was he showed about 20 of us during a lecture um, at Montauk in 2010. That was almost 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago next month. And in this lecture, he presented a video of an early prototype version of the time reactor where 20 of us saw an amaryllis plant grow in three minutes or four minutes what would normally take three or four days. And this, this, is, this is the closest I've seen to his technology. I was not allowed to uh, video it. And of course, the technology has developed. He said uh, about a year and a half ago, I asked him, it was a public forum, when uh, I said, you said in the past that uh, someday I could maybe see the, see the lab. And he says, well, he says, that day is getting very close, I think. That was a year and a half ago. So, you know, I'm not uh, holding my breath him to open up the doors, but uh, it, it has been in the, uh, you know, presented to me as something that he would like to do. But there's, he also said in that meet, in that discussion that he was under a lot of non-disclosure agreements because there is the Secrecy Act in the United States whereby any technology that you develop that is of interest to the national defense can be sequestered or taken. So you then become partners with the government, whether you want it or not. So he is under uh, non-disclosure relationships. And it's always been very evident from whenever he's talked about them. He hasn't said this in so many words, but he has said it in so many words without actually saying it, is that these people are very resistive and anal retentive about releasing this technology. He has had developed courses, videos, uh, and he says, oh, we're going to release them in, you know, next year. And they never happen. So consequently, I ended up releasing videos. And there's also a, a strange thing is, is that people are not very uh, informable on this topic. The people who understand it and appreciate it and get it are few and far between. And those who do get it, is another situation. What are they going to do with the information or the knowledge? Comparatively, very little. Um, so it's it's a capability or a capacity that is not, um, I guess what you'd say, referential or suitable for the normal human being. And those that do claim to have uh, time travel experiences and whatnot and have a tendency to talk about it, they tend to talk very in very fragmented mm -hmm. uh, dimensions. So it's like, 
we're not you're not having a tangible conversation. It's not that they didn't have the experience. It's that their their ability to integrate it is very flawed. Do you think that's part of the reason of when you were talking earlier about the Philadelphia project and how people would, you know, spontaneously combust, you know, like be set on fire when they came back into this dimension? Do you think that there's some sort of um, breakdown that happens energetically in the experience of recalling it um, in this dimension versus what they experience through the time travel? Well, yeah, there, there's a lack of ability to filter or integrate or process information. It's, uh, it's like, you know, it does not compute. And, and so it's like, it's like being taken from, you know, a, a Japanese culture 300 years ago and a modern culture here. You know, you, the languages don't mix and match. The culture doesn't mix and match. Uh, the people and their attitudes don't mix and match. Only this is much more extreme than that, because, and and this this is, and it's all about the ability to reference yourself in the here and now, which is a very Zen concept. So so this is this is the situation: is that people, uh, you might say, are not altogether here. Okay. And- now let me ask you this. You were saying um, how there are very few people who would even know what to do with this um, information. You yourself have the information. Have you been able to do anything um, yourself with it in the sense of trying to experience or testing the time travel? Well, you know, it's very interesting because I never actually really wanted to travel into time. I I loved the, the old TV show when I was young, the what was it? The time tunnel is always a subject that, that I found interesting, but it was never something I actually wanted to do. So, you know, that's Google. That's, that's how it usually happens. It's the people who don't (laughs) really want to, that end up getting like, you know, thrown into this stuff. Well, I would like to see the lab, but I don't necessarily have any great desire to step into the, into the chamber, into, into the, into the field. Uh, what I, if I was given the invitation, probably. Uh, but my, I, I'm like sort of, my attitude is like, well, let's see that it works first. But the other thing is what I've been able to do with it. My my dream was to, uh, when I was young and I began to read science fiction, was to also write science fiction so and to write books. So like this is a living out of my dream is to write. So do I do something with it? Yes. It's become my career is writing about time, which was not essentially uh, initially my, uh, you know, when I got involved in this, you know, as well, I, I decided I realized that I could write a book. And because I was in the um, design and advertising field, it was very relatively easy for me to to publish it. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, so I'm doing something with the information and I'm, I'm educating people and people enjoy my books. They tell me all the time how much they enjoyed my writing and whatnot. So I, I'm doing a service, but I'm basically a writer who writes about very unusual uh, and interesting topics. So th- yes, in that sense, but to, to, in a more p- pragmatic answer, it was a remarkable experience that occurred. And I, um, 
David Anderson did an interview with me, which is now on the for the paid subscribers at the Time Travel Education Center in 2015, after he had um, read my uh, my newsletter, which would go into the later go into the videos. He agreed to do a podcast with me, and during and, and his microphone went bad, so we ended up having several long discussions, which is very unusual. I had, I got more out of him in those 215, that 2015 personal talking uh, than I ever did in my entire interactions with him. And that includes, you know, having dinner with him, having lunch with him, blah, blah, blah. Now these were, because often he wouldn't talk. He was like the Tin Man. I mean, he wasn't that obtuse, but no, he, 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 he couldn't talk about a lot of things. Here he he stepped forward and I said, what can you tell me about Romania? And he says, because, you know, he brought me to Romania. I published all these books uh, by a Romanian author about uh, paranormal uh, stuff that's gone on there. And he said, I can tell you, this is what I can tell you about Romania, but you can't share it. And he said, he said that they're the most important area in Romania is a place called Chaklovina Cave, where we have evidence of over 200 or 2,000 years ago, there was a massive amount of discharge of what is called space-time motive force. Space-time motive force is what happens with a when you have uh, two moments, I guess, two time reactors, and the Earth can act as a time reactor. It'll discharge a bunch of energy which can solve the world's energy problems. This is all documented, by the way. I want, I'm not going to stick on this point, but this, he says, and the reason they could tell is because there's a mineral that is was subject to such high heat that there's no other way it could have formed other than a time reactor. So anyway, he's saying this cave is a very special place. And I said, David, I said, did you know that um, I was at that cave last summer? And he was just completely blown away by the fact that I, what, what the hell I'm doing in there? And I said, well, I was brought there. Uh, I, I was, I had an extra day because I go to Romania uh, and specifically to Transylvania once a year. And I said, I said, this, this man who's an archaeologist, uh, he, one day he brought there and me and my friends, he just took us there. We didn't ask to go. And we got to see the cave. So when David went back, well, so, you know, and then then later when he talked uh, about a year and a half ago, he said that this cave, there are other areas like that around the plant, but by this cave is the far the most important one. And not all the information has been released about it yet with regards to its phenomena. So I went back there a second time. And in the second time I went back, I found a metal door. In another alternative entrance, it was a man-made entrance to the cave with a metal door that you couldn't go through. I went and I had a lot of experiences that had nothing to do with the cave per se, but the area. I went back the following year and there was, um, and one of my friends, Romanian friends, who I would say is very highly placed in society, um, he, he was able to go in there. He has his own metaphysical group and he took about 40 people in there with him into the past the metal door. He got permission to go in there and they found bones, which he said were giants of bones of giants. He had pictures of them. 
videos of them, but you can't really tell. But he said they were they were not they were human like human bones, but they were of a giant. Um, and he went in about three or four kilometers, and there's a lot of artifacts. He went in the following year as well. And of course, when I went back after he showed me these videos, I and I announced to the whole group at the camp that I'm going there and everybody wishes me good luck. And so I went up there with my friends and, and we didn't we weren't able to get past the metal door, but we found a camp which uh, everybody was with me, fell in love with. And I went back to the camp the following year, which was last summer, and actually was able to go into not the not past the middle door, but into the big cave. It's a cave that is uh, the entrance is like a, a couple garages, you know, like a double two stories high. Hmm. And I walked into the cave, and you have to you have to have a wetsuit. So this guy got us a wetsuit. He got us uh, shoes to wear. Um, we were prepared. You know, lights on our head, and we went into that cave about a mile. And uh, it was um, at one point I had to be pulled up with a rope. It was so intense, and we must have gotten to the area where where David said. I, I think we were right outside the area, just because I won't go into the details, but because of the descriptions by uh, Romanian you know, spelunkologists that have written about the different minerals found there. So I think I got to the area. It was just a very deep experience. Uh, so that's like, and also I found out that civilization existed in abundance there until about 2000 years ago. So that fits the time. So it's as if a, a, in the first century, a lot of people in that area, the whole culture disappeared. And there's other phenomena associated with the area, which I won't go into, but they have to do, they appeared in my dream state after I went to the cave. So I'm picking up on, and then I'd meet people that would tell me some of the legends and stories of the area. So it's, it's like getting in touch with the, what you call the indigenous energies and the land itself. And that is perhaps the most inspirational aspect of, of the travels. Will uh, One of my friends who went with me, not on that trip, but two trips earlier, uh, had a dis him and his him and the driver they they said that you know they kind of had a disappearance in space time and came back they had a, a weird experience which could be seen in the physical plane because his brother was watch was in touch with him by cell phone and all of a sudden it switched from there to Kosovo and you know that the two distances were not they're not that close so in other words his brother's watching him on his cell phone and all of a sudden he's getting signals from Kosovo. So, you know, I don't know if they really did move in space time, but apparently they had an experience. Okay. So much to ask you now. <laughs> there is a lot I there. Return, I will return this summer if uh, circumstances allow with all, all the stuff that's going on with yes. the, the coronavirus. Yes. Yes. So I have um, one of my best friends is from Romania. And I, from what I've understood, uh, some things that I've heard um, are that the cave systems in Romania, that there are certain places there that are of um, what you're talking about, this uh, very different energy, um, high, high level energy, almost like vortex, um, but also that 
I'm, I'm curious first, the first question I had, that door that you were talking about, that metal door. Yeah. Your um, friend who was able to pass through, who controls yeah. the door? Oh, well, it's it's not that hard. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of spelunkologists, which is, you know, cave scientists or people who study cave. Um, and you have to have permission from one of their societies and you have to have a valid reason for going in, which is scientific. Um, this guy, you know, when I interviewed him, because he's highly, I guess what you'd say, uh, placed in secret societies, I had, uh, he kind of doesn't answer. You know, he mm -hmm. kind of like, well, did you get this from, by going through the, the cave people or did you get it through the secret society? And he just kind of smiles. He doesn't answer you. So, yeah. but I think he just, you know, he knows so many people that I think he just got somebody to let him in. And he okay. expressed that it was very important uh, to be very careful. You should wear a mask. And he said one of the reasons he didn't suggest going in, because one of the people on his journey disappeared for a period of time and then reappeared. And he had all these weird, he didn't kind of, everything was all weird. So in other words, it, you know, you go at your own risk. And, so when you uh, say he disappeared, he disappeared from the group and then later yeah, in time appeared. Group, which means that he disappeared in time because you're not going to get too lost in these narrow caves. Um, you know, and he didn't know what had happened. You know, he was he was confused about what happened. So was it yeah. on the same day that he reappeared or was he gone? For yeah, it was, I mean, he was gone for, you know, a few hours or an hour. I mean, they were in there a long time. I and mean, you're talking okay. about going in. Uh, what did he say? three or four kilometers, which is like, uh, that's more than a mile, you know, that's between one and two miles. So like when I went in and of course the, the path, I was going through the wet cave. So, uh, I was clumping over rocks and stuff. His path was probably much easier than ours. Mm -hmm. And cause the, 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 the one with the middle door is a, um, this was a man-made cave or entryway to the cave to get back guano. It was done by the dictator Ceausescu uh, because the bat guano was used. It, it's it's really good for fertilizing soil, but it was also good for explosives. And he used to sell it. So that's how the whole road to the cave got built in the first place. Um, so the road is not a very pleasant road to, to get on with the car. Um, it it might have totaled, not totaled, but uh, compromised a couple of my friends, two different cars. So... The um, at one point we had to get out and move rocks on one of the trips, you know, on our way to the cave. We had to get rocks that didn't happen on all of them, but after you know, because it can a, a lot of torrential downpours and stuff like that can occur, including overflow of river from the cave. But in, in where he went now, he, he's not going to be uh, from what I've heard, not the guy just disappeared. And you have 40 people, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you can't keep track of all of them. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think this guy had an experience. I'm curious what, first of all, what did you see in your dreams? Like what information came through in your dreams and did it parallel any of the legends that you knew about in that area? Well, the first dream I had, uh, was the night I was actually in the cave and I, I was brought before the Queen of England and 
I was all nervous about the protocol to meet her with, with a, about a group of women who I don't know. They were just people that I was with and I was friends with, but I don't really know them. And they were all nervous about the protocol. And then we were told the protocol was waived. We did not have to follow the protocol. We met the queen and we were presented in front of her. And uh, she then, we were brought into her chamber. It was called the queen's chamber. That was the dream. But then I realized on the way home that this was symbolic of the queen's chamber of the great pyramid. And which is the opening of the heart, represents the opening of the heart, the queen's chamber of the great pyramid. So it was symbolic of that. The next, uh, that night, I was taken up to a perspective. It was a very rugged hike. Uh, the owner of the camp said it'd be about 45 minutes. It was more like an hour and a half. And we were, it was very tough. And we were, we came back in, in pitch black. I mean, if I knew it was going to take that long, I would have, we, we would have all brought in flashlights, but we were coming home in darkness down very steep uh, hill. And that night, because, but I got to see the whole valley and the layout of where things were in reference to other sites that I was familiar with and had been to. And that night I had a dream of um, being like Indiana Jones in the movie where he holds the staff of raw and a lightning a light, bolt, ray of light flashes through and goes to an area. Mm -hmm. And I, then when I'm talking to the owner of the camp the next day, I'm telling him about, I don't, I'm not even have to tell him the dream. He starts, to, he starts using the word oriflame. Now oriflame is a Latin word and he will sometimes, because his English isn't great, he will sometimes bastardize English words. And here he was using a Latin word. And what oriflame means is golden flame. It goes back to Joan of Arc, but the what he was talking about I was a, a lightning that goes up from the near the cave area and goes up into the sky, and I said, that, "Well, that was what I had in my dream last night." So we went to go see the local man who I'd met the year before, who owns he's a longtime property owner in the area, and we went down to his house and. His son was there. And his son was, of course, a builder who works in Spain and all over. And he he was there. And he's the one. Him and his wife had seen the, the flame or the golden bolt of light. And he says it only occurs on holy days, meaning Christmas, Easter, or, or New Year's Day. Oh, really? And, yeah. He says it only occurs on those days. And he says one time we went to approach it. But as you get closer to it, it disappears. So it was only a couple of months ago. And I'm sitting there uh, and I turn on the TV just to relax. And I see that the Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark movie is on. And I say, well, I'm not going to watch this movie, but let me see. There's some interesting things I might want to watch. I turn it on. And it was that exact moment where Indiana Jones is holding the staff of Raw. And I said, oh, why am I turning it on right now? And it shows the bolt. And then the, this time I watched where the bolt of lightning went. It went right to the steps of a temple. So I said, well, this is the universe telling me that there, there is or was a temple in the area where this lightning bolt emanates from. And this is what I want to go explore in my next journey uh, to, to this area. So it'll probably lead, you know, you go looking for one thing and it'll, you'll discover <laughs> something else. Wow. So um, I would also hope, but not expect uh, to go into the, 
the cave with the metal door, I have um, actually, um, when I got out of the cave, I was inspired to put up a ham radio antenna at the camp with a full ham radio station, which is one of the projects David Anderson has been involved in. And he's very interested in what I'm doing there. Um, I've raised most of the money for it. Uh, three people will be accompanying me. The fourth one, uh, still waiting to hear from him. I'm only gonna take four people. And uh, they're each contributing $700, you know, and then we're gonna go on the trip. If, if this coronavirus stuff does not solve itself, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to delay the trip or something, yeah. but, uh, I, I have a why. feeling it'll in a few months, it'll be solved. I hope it is. Yeah. So, okay. So, okay. Here's, I have a question. Sorry. I'm just, there's so much information here. I'm finding this all very fascinating. Um, the chamber that your friend went in that contains the holographic record of earth's history and readouts of human dna what exactly do you mean by a holographic readout and record well um i would qualify the word friend as more of a colleague than a friend because i mean you know and i say colleague because we're t you're talking about the romanian author radu cinemar who is the author of the book transylvania sunrise as the, the name is in English. And a, a chamber was discovered beneath the Romanian Sphinx. There's a, a Sphinx in Romania that goes back, they say, 50,000 years. And beneath this chamber in 2003, they were able to breach this chamber with the help of American technology and um, a secret faction of the Pentagon that was operating independently of, um, you know, say, the regular command channels. Mm -hmm. through through the uh, machinations of Freemasonry. They opened up this chamber and they discovered incredible technology. And, and the whole book is a, a lot about the political intrigue and um, logistical intrigue to get at the chamber. But when they finally get there, it has technology which is more futuristic than it is ancient history. And it's technology that's holographic and it has tables that are like six feet high it would be for like giant people. And if you put your hand over one part of the table, it will read out holographically a star system and a planet. And it will show you uh, a rendition of a particular type of creature, animal. And this is where the star system came from. If you put over another part of the table, it will read out your hand, the DNA of your hand. It will start out on the you know, the molecular level and go down to the atomic level. And the closer you put your hand to the table. And then other places, if you put your hand over and, and get a readout of one creature, you'll get out a readout of another creature with the star system it came from and a hybridization of the two different creatures. So this is like a data bank of virtually infinite DNA permutations. So this is one aspect of the tunnel. There are also chamber rather within the chamber, there is what they call a projection hall where you can view the history of the earth uh, up to about 400 AD and it's bioresonant. So if you see a holographic presentation of the earth's history, it'll be different than mine because we have different predispositions, different minds and different experiences and different DNA. So, 
everybody's going to see a, a, a different story. And of course, there are also within that projection hall, three tunnels. And these become the subject eventually of three different books. The third one, the two of which have been published, the third one of which I'm working on now. And so these are adventures that uh, basically go to, uh, one goes to a similar chamber beneath the Giza Plateau in Egypt. The current one I'm working on now goes to a chamber beneath Iraq. And the other one goes into the inner earth and where one can contact nations mm-hmm. from the inner earth. Okay. Another subject in and of itself. And yeah. Well, that's actually here. how I heard about the Romanian caves um, leading to was inner earth. Well, one thing that would interest that um, I guess it's West about due West of the Sphinx, the Sphinx, you know, if you're standing in front of the Sphinx, you're looking North. If you go and you're in, a, in the mountains, you're in, above the tree line. If you look to the left or to the West, and you you can take a tram to get to the Sphinx. You can take a tram. There's two trams on either side. You take a tram down there, and there is a cave. Uh, there's also a hotel. There's a few more hotels down there. And you go to this cave, Yalomita, I-A-O-L-O-M-I-T-A, Yalomita uh, Cave. And there's a monastery in front of the cave, which is sort of intrusive. Uh, and some say it's to block the energy, but you go into that cave and it is the most, it's more dramatic than in any cave or anything I've ever been into, save for the one I was just in last summer, because you can walk this. It's, it's again, a huge entrance, but you can walk it. You will encounter water, some incredible water, but you go in probably a, a, a half mile. I don't know, quarter to half a mile. And you're going, and they have stairs built, like wooden stairs, so you can. There's one place where you have to get down almost on your knees to get through, but other than that, it's you can walk, and it's just it's huge caverns open up. But when you get to the very end, this is the most interesting part of the cave. You get to the very end, you can't go anymore because it gets wet, and there's no lights. But I did meet a man who went beyond. He took the step beyond into that area. And he said he brought wooden planks with him and flashlight. And he said he went about 80 yards into past where you can go. And there you just, it it opened up huge. It was just like, you know, a huge space. And of course, he couldn't go any further without ropes and equipment. And it was, so in other words, you're talking about a huge cavern uh into the earth so to speak that's all in the physical plane there's other stuff that in the book inside the earth which is a very interesting book he goes into the actual mechanics of the geology of the inner earth and the physics of the inner earth and it's fascinating because you hear information in there that will be what scientists will spout out you know in 10 or 20 years from now um the, what he what what is he talks about black holes, all of which is coming out of the mouth of a Tibetan Lama, but it's it's uh, it's presented in a very scientific and plausible uh, manner on the whole science of the of the inner earth, and and you're 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 going into a different vibrational frequency, 
and that and that's what happens so it's like we're we're in a more dense vibrational frequency in the surface world so mm-hmm. it's preparing mankind to get back in touch with its its innards its innards so to speak and the innards are the, the what's the innards of the inner of the earth are part of our own innards on a more spiritual frequency well and and also when we think about our own in innards like even the intestinal like that's where a lot of the intuitive information comes through um through its connection to like the hormones are produced for um the pituitary and the pineal and and its communication to the those glands is very much connected to the intestinal. our intestinal area yes and in qigong which i practice it, it literally comes out of the navel it goes mm-hmm. it go come mm-hmm. from the navel the navel is like the window to the whole human body because that's where you first take in your first breaths through the navel yes yes the umbilical cord everything right wow. and interestingly enough the um the the character who is the author's mentor uh cesar brad or caesar brad as we would say in english he is he was born with a huge umbilical cord they had to to you know, take a saw and cut it. And they reported him to the Romanian security because as the doctors were supposed to, and this is how he got on the um, screens of the paranormal department of Romania, which was being um, instituted by a doctor from China who was on a program loaned to Romania. And he was actually an incognito Tibetan Lama. And that, that he's a very intriguing character who uh, appears in different spots of, of the series of books. Well, I'm very interested to, to read your books and um, these ones as well. It's, I, I love this stuff. This is the stuff that just um, absolutely fascinates me so much. If you can go, pending all of this global pandemic right now, but if you can go to Romania in the summer and do you have anything specific in mind that you're looking to connect with or to find this time around? Well, one thing is I, I don't get too specific. Uh, I don't get too specific. I mean, you got to realize that on one of the trips I, I found a wife, something I wasn't expecting. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> a nice, nice young wife who was, added so much uh, beauty and wonder to my life that I was not asking for that. Mm-hmm. It, it also, <laughs> it also warranted a phone call from David Anderson when I wrote to him and he called me and, and that's what set the things in motion for all of the, you know, the discussions and the discovery of the cave, you know, and she was actually, uh, I wasn't married to her at the time, but, uh, we actually uh, went to the cave together with some of my other friends. So she was on that, that first trip to the cave. That's the only trip she's been on uh, to the cave with me. But yeah, so, so I'm saying is, um, you know, on, on when we found the camp, we didn't expect to find the camp. I didn't know there was a camp nearby. What had happened is I said, uh, somebody says, which way do we go? There's a fork in the road. I said, well, that's the way to the cave, but let's go up here and see what's up there. We went up these it was like very hilly and it got so hilly that we decided we better turn around. There's about eight or nine of us in a van 
And then we turned the van around. We saw all these kids down in a ravine and they're climbing up this way. And, and we said, we asked them, what are we going? He says, oh, come up, come up. Uh, you see this man, he knows everything. And it turned out it was a scout camp. And so we turned the van back around and went up there and we were greeted like long lost friends. And he had a big sign that said, open Chaklavina in English, not in Romanian. I said, why is it in English? I don't know, you know. And and uh, he started talking about the Philadelphia experiment and then they told him who I was and how I was connected to that. So oh, it was wow. kind of a coincidence. And I went back and, you know, stayed at the camp uh, and three three full days in nature. And it was so good. You're, you're in nature. You're so far away from everything. And you come back, you see the craziness of the world. You know, Jeffrey Epstein died while I was there. And it's sort of like, God, what is this madness going on back here in the United States? And um, so um, nobody's nobody's thinking about Jeffrey Epstein too much anymore with this coronavirus. <laughs> but uh, they didn't need that to take him off the off the airwaves. But in any case, yeah, it's just you're out in total nature. So you just accept what nature has to give you, whether whether it's a wife, whether it's a story from these uh, incredible, uh, you know, releases of light beams or whatever. And I, I'm going to be looking for a temple that either did exist or um, does exist, mm -hmm. you know, or exists in another dimension. And when I go looking for the temple, I might find something else. I would also hope but can't expect to access uh, uh, past the metal door because uh, the friend I went through with last year has a cousin who's a speologist and we're going to see if we can, you know, wrangle that. But he's also had more added to his life where it might not make it so easy for him to travel with me. And now with this coronavirus, who the hell knows? Yeah. Uh, who the hell knows? So it's like, and, and I would say when, after we discovered this camp, I was with eight people and there was so much, what happened with the group, there was so much infighting with the group that none of them returned. They weren't fighting with me and nobody was angry with me but they became angry with each other or they were. And, and, and so I said, boy, it took me about four months after the trip to realize I'd be going on the next trip by myself. Wow. And um, one of the guys, he, he's been with me on several trips. He, he likes to make fun of me. And he says, because we one time had this group and it was like a lot of people, you know, we, we'd gone on this trip and that's how he met me and, and they're taking pictures and, there's all these orbs, blue orbs in the pictures, and just having everybody get up and say what their experiences was. So everybody, and when it's my turn, I, I don't really want to get up there and say anything, but they asked me to get up there, and I say, well, I realize that when I come here, I should go by myself. And you know, he made fun of me because he said it was so, you know, I mean, it's borderline rude. But I was being honest because there's all so much stuff going on, you know, there's so much not unnecessary, incoherent chatter going on. But as it turned out, this when I did go by myself, and I said I, I went with a with a, was it two other, three other Romanians, you know? Uh, yes. And two of them were children. You know what I mean? So it was me and this psychiatrist and and two children. We went together 
So it, it was like I was with Romanians the whole time. There were no Americans uh, there. What it's save one who was at the camp who who uh, helps direct the camp. So basically, and I, I tend to do well when I'm with Romanians exclusively. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm my other friends are still welcome to come if they can make it. But uh, yeah, so it's like you know adventures. May I ask, uh, did you notice any sort of burst in your own um, intuitive abilities um, after being there? Like, did you receive any downloads or any kind of activations that you're aware of? It came through the dream. It came through the dream. Yeah. It came through the dream, which I shared the dreams with you, the the, the key ones. Mm -hmm. And I even wrote up some more in one of my newsletters. I wrote them up. Th- those were that. And also, when I got out of the cave, I'm talking to this this guy, and I'm, I'm and I just it just comes to me that I need to build a ham radio uh, station there. So um, th- that's boom. You know, I'm just it just yeah. came to me. That was my and so that, that and that's a project in the physical world that I'm doing or gonna get done. And now the biggest barrier right now is is this coronavirus. Um, and it, it, as I say, it will eventually recede. But I I, can't, I was ready to, you know, start implement contacting this person to contact this person to start getting it built, hopefully by the time I get there. And then um, I also have a ham radio expert coming with me. It was not for us to build the station. I would arrange to have it built by Romanians. But... Um, so, so, you know, so the, 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 the download is very short and sweet and to the point, not necessarily like, um, the only download experience I really had once, uh, wrote about it in one of the books where I was working with Preston Nichols. I hadn't, was on the first book, a lot of weird stuff would happen in the dream. And I was taken to a, it was like being taken aboard a UFO and a Japanese, oh, I'm starting, this is big. This is, I'm just having a big realization. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> this, Let's this, go. This like, well, okay. So there was this Japanese woman forcing me to read Japanese characters. And I said, I can't. I can't read Japanese. She says, yes, you can. She's very insistent. And all of a sudden, I can read them. And I'm reading them. And I'm interpreting them. And it's like, wow, wow. And I I said, if this continues, now this is my higher self or whatever. My higher self comes in or somebody comes in. It's me, though, saying, if this continues, I'm going to have something that amounts to a seizure. And I turn off the whole process. This is during the dream? Yeah. I turn it off. But something weird was happening because I remember... At the time, I was sleeping on my wife's bed. I think I had just mowed the lawn or something, and I was taking a late afternoon nap. And when I, well, but after I got out, well, first off, I realized what happened. The dream was, before I was taken to the Japanese woman, I was taken aboard a UFO, and Preston Nichols was sitting there, and he says, I've got your signature. Your signature means your electromagnetic signature. It's like I'd been snapped or, or snared. Then I go into the place with this Japanese woman. My mind is opened up. 
this is the download you're talking about. And then when I, I turn it off, I go down into a letdown room, a waiting room where I'm, I'm allowed to, to get some peace and quiet. Then I wake up on my bed and I'm completely relaxed, just, just so relaxed. And I had a strange experience. Now, what the big realization right now is I am working. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I've dedicated the next three years to working with Douglas Dietrich. He is a very controversial uh, person who is of Japanese descent and German descent. His mother was the translator for Hitler on behalf of the emperor of Japan. And he has had a very uh, tough life growing up in San Francisco. He's the one that basically instigated the whole, uh, I guess what you call exposed, the whole Presidio scandals that, that took place in the 1980s of massive child sexual child abuse that t- took place at the Presidio. And he, in effect, got the whole place shut down. The entire, the most important military base on the West Coast of the United States. How did he expose it? Uh, it's a long story, but basically they refused to investigate it because it was, on, or the police could not investigate it because it was on the Presidio and that's uh, the army. And the army said, hands off. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't, they poo-poo all the complaints. But then he found that one of the, the, the guy who used to take care of the daycare center and would do a great deal of the abuse, I don't mean to, in Gary Hambright, I wouldn't say that he did it exclusively. He was a uh, Douglas's commercial arts instructor at his, uh, you know, continuation school. I forget what they call that. He was studying commercial art. Now, this guy had all sorts of child porno stuffed away in his, in his, in his office. And Douglas reported this to the San Francisco Police Department, who then had a reason because this was not on the Presidio. They investigated him and he died before his, he could be convicted, but he he died of AIDS. He was a, a very sick person in more ways than just physically. So that, but then what happened is they, the, the parents were so outraged by what had happened because the kids were all complaining of abuse and the, the parents burned down the, uh, the daycare center and the Presidio. And then the Presidio responded. Really? By, yeah. By burning down all the records. And uh, Douglas set a third fire, which is a whole other story we can't go into, but they had, you know, animatable robots, which, you know, people could use as sex dolls that, that he burned down and stole the dolls. Uh, those were trucked away in big trucks through his gang affiliations, having grown up in amongst the, the Tongs or uh, Chinese g- gangs, because he's part Chinese too. Of uh, His mother was part Chinese and part Japanese. But um, so it was such an outrage. They, they transferred all the people to different bases. So they covered it up. And years later, the Presidio was shut down and George Lucas bought it. It now belongs to Disney. You can oh, go of there. course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> you can go, you can go there. And I, I actually went for the first time when I met Douglas, I actually went to the, I had time to kill. So me and my friend, we went to the Presidio to see it. And we, there was a Disney museum, a history of Walt Disney 
mostly family stuff, but we went into the museum. So it's got a Disney museum there. Um, so, so anyway, I'm realizing that this Japanese stuff I was getting is tied to all the ethnic, because, you know, the World War II has been completely mistold. And I'm going to do his book. It's the working title, which we're probably going to change the title, is Roswell and the Rising Sun, because it, it goes into how the whole Roswell incident were really Japanese super dirigible that was trying to be reconstructed by the U.S. government. Uh, and they were using the prisoners of war, these little Japanese. And the whole story of Roswell has been just really screwed up and mistold to distract from war crimes, uh, Americans against Americans. The Battle of Los Angeles was super dirigibles. And, and this can all be backed up. It's not a problem backing it up, but, but the United States has lied from World War, from pre-World War II on, they've been lying consistently to take heat off of their high command. And, and this is what the book is about. So it's, uh, and, and how you're working on that one right now. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm working simultaneously. One day I'll work on that book. The next day I'll work on Radu's book called the etheric crystal, the third tunnel. I, I go from one. Yeah. One the inner earth one. one. Yeah. When, yeah, I go from one book to the next and I've produced two books in the last year and the last year before that I produced two books. So I'm going at a new uh, reference frame of two books a year. Never done that before. Wow. Um, and, and we'll see if I can pull it off. And this, I tell you, this coronavirus is not hurting me I know. <laughs> because I can get more done. I've, I've got a trip planned. Uh, Douglas and I are planned to be keynote speakers at the Living Truth Summit in Mount Shasta, June 18th to 22nd. Uh, that mm -hmm. conference has neither been postponed or canceled at this point. Um, and then I will go to Romania in August. If those trips are canceled, all, all the easier for me to get my work done, my other work done, because I, I will get it done anyway, but it's, I'll have a lot more breathing room. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited to read those books and I'm, and I'll start off with your other ones. Um, I'd love to read them and then maybe have you back on to discuss some of the information in there. I'd be happy to um, do that with you. Yeah. Very fascinating. I'm, I'm blown away of, of where the conversation turned to because um, one of the things that is um, one of my deeper passions right now is exposing the, um, the pedophilia and the sexuals to trafficking, uh, the sex trafficking of children and, and well, just human trafficking in general, but also the child trafficking and, and how deep it runs and how prevalent it is. And, Indeed. I mean, we're, Indeed. We I, 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 you'll be interested in Douglas Dietrich and, and I'm going to send you a link to one of his, you know, more generic YouTube. So you get an idea of who he is. He's on, he does a YouTube pod, podcast every uh, Sunday and Wednesday uh, evenings. I'm often, he'll call often call me Wednesday and said, I, I want you to be on, you know, and I, I like to do it, except it, I kind of, have to recover the next day because it goes on long. I'm supposed yeah. to go for an hour and then we get into it. And <laughs> he's, he's a very interesting character that has been very misunderstood, very controversial, but very misunderstood. Uh, because typically what will happen is 
because he's exposed a lot of the stuff you're talking about. He knows a lot about it. And um, what happens is typically people uh, with a big audience will have him on, but they'll never have him on again. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's usually because these people are co-opted by higher placed people. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. I can already tell that you're not, you're not, no, you're not one of them. No. Uh, and so you, you would find his stuff very informative. And, and the thing is, his, he's got a plethora of information out there, but when I put it into book form, it will do something not only for him, but his information, which will anchor it down because, and, and it make it decipherable and discernible. He speaks kind of like an A, part of him is AI. And that's a whole another story. And, and it took me years of knowing him to kind of figure that out, even to whatever degree he said it. It's like, I'm trying to fathom him and understand him in a way um, that is, you know, and so, so some of his more far out things, people didn't understand how to interpret him. So okay. using all of my, uh, all of my patience and skills to, to, you know, make his work into uh, integratable, something that people can study and learn, uh, you know, how deep the falsehoods are that we've been living in, in, in our culture. Sounds like you're a really good build a uh, bridge builder in the sense of um, simplicity, you know, allowing to take complex ideas and simplify them down so other people can digest them. It's very important because people just don't care. Uh, it, it, it's, you see it on the internet. People, it's a dotting your I's and crossing your T's. People become very sloppy on the internet. And I try not to do that. Misspellings. Mm-hmm. And you'll see it in, in now professional people who write news articles, whether it's for Yahoo or even, you know, a conventional publication, they're sloppy with their spelling. You would see occasional errors in the New York Times and other magazines, but not that many and not that aggressive and flagrant. And, and now on the internet, it's like, you know, you can be as sloppy as you want. It's not good. It, it, you gain much more if you try and, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's as much as you can. You know, life is not all dotted I's and cross T's, but, you know, to the, to the degree you can, it's very important. And, and this is what I'm trying to do with the subjects that I've yeah. encountered like time travel. And then you also have a quotient for which is just pure adventure. And that's, that's what makes life fun. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if, if religion were all about going to church and praying and, you know, making the sign of the cross or, or, or bowing to Mecca, you know, life's all canned. There's nothing, there's nothing, you know, it's all canned, you know, you're good and you go to heaven. that's not what life is unfortunately or fortunately perhaps you know well i'm looking forward to the fact that you know everything happens for a reason i try to see the silver lining in 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 a lot of things not without it's not about putting your head in the sand i totally believe that you need to pay attention to everything but uh with this coronavirus happening i i get the sense that you know if things continue on the way they are we may go into a little bit of a, a shutdown here and you know Having your books in my home may be a really good option to <laughs> spend my time while uh, other things are going recessions on. Recessions are good for the publishing business traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have a recession, which I hope we don't, 
business has been good. I hope, I hope that business increases. Um, we've been riding a, a good wave in the last couple of years. So yeah. Um, and then what happens is people. I, I, I would I would suspect that over forty percent of the population are just outraged. It's what's happening right now. Not not. I mean, at, at the the whole way, everything's being shut down. I think they're outraged, and I think they're there's a good portion of the population that is rebellious on this topic and would do everything they can to expose this as a control. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying it is a control, but I'm saying the way it's handled is, yeah. is there was, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's, he's pretty famous. He's, he's now Trump's economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. He was a um, finance uh, guru, had radio programs, TV programs, mm-hmm. very, yeah well-respected and he worked for Ronald Reagan and he said on uh, TV the other night that they're going to give handouts. We're looking and he is a complete capitalist and he's talking about giving handouts to door to door, you know? And then I, I looked that up and Mitt Romney is, is advocating a handout of a thousand dollars per, you know, per household or per person to keep the economy going. This is a good way to ruin the U S dollar. It but, absolutely is. But then I looked up Larry Kudlow and it said that he has a whole, and I, I didn't, wasn't looking for this. He has a whole history of cocaine and alcoholism. Yet I always thought he was like this prestigious financier. You know, it was years ago, but he's an addict. So, um, yes. Um, yeah. So I, I think a lot of the population is really suspicious well, I know they are suspicious. Well, of, of course. I mean, it's the way I see it is this isn't about a, a virus per se so much as it is about something else that's going on behind the scene. And this particular virus is being, I'm, I'm not saying that it was planned this way, but that it's being used to shut things down for a purpose. I think that even many of us yet are, don't fully understand. Even those of us who may be researching and looking into things and, and, and going way beyond what anything the media would ever tell us, really kind of looking into some of the investigative journalists who've taken it upon themselves to really do some very deep digging of what actually is going on here and um, how the old structures, I think, are coming down. But the way it all plays out, none of us really truly know. And I will give you a clue. I will give you a clue that, that has a silver lining attached to it. And it was the um, it was Alistair Crowley who talked about the secret chiefs, mm-hmm. the twelve secret chiefs that control things. And he said that he says, "Don't ever try and bring the secret chiefs into your life," you know. Because when they're ready to find you, they will contact you. You know, you don't need to try and contact them. But he reveals that as you move up the upper echelons of whatever studies you're doing, you find that these secret chiefs are none other than the 12 signs of the Zodiac. So he's talking about an archetypal consciousness, which underlies all of thought, all of human experience. Now, keep in mind, these archetypal consciousnesses are arbitrary, but you could have picked them from any 
reference of 12 parts of a circle. So, but the key here is you're taking, it represents 360 degrees of different experiences in life. So when you have this virus, the virus itself is composed of different archetypal forces. So what you just said, and, and this is why I mentioned it, because the, the difference in structures, in the structure of government, you have Saturn and Pluto conjuncting, which is introducing- Huge. Yeah, it's huge. And it's making the whole structure of government change. Yes. And when Pluto goes into, what is it, uh, Aquarius in, uh, in uh, 2023, this is, it's going to be working on a humanitarian basis. Pluto will be working. It's gone through government. It's gone through structure. And now humanity and also Star Trek technology comes to the forefront. Yes. They're working more. And so what you could see happen is you could see, see capitalism right now as at this moment and the Dow Jones like going down is becoming to, to is being taken down to its knees, literally taken down to its knees so that all these stocks and things aren't worth all the billionaires are now less billionaires and, and, and millionaires are less millionaires and so they're being taken down to their knees. And what you might see is a shift in capitalism going into governmental overall organization, which people think that that's like a dictatorship, but it won't be a dictatorship because that's that's the past. This The, the tyrant age is over. We're so you might see, you know, I mean, Google already belongs to the government. It's a government operation. You might see Amazon more because Amazon is like the great distributor, you know, it's the distributor of goods. So you might see a more socialistic government. And I, I hopefully, it, and all of these crazy theories that come out of people like uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, the ideas are crazy only because they're not integratable. Yeah, they're exactly. Idealistic. They're idealistic. And you they're, can't, yeah, you can't, practically put them into into yes. you can't execute yes. them and, and they're neurolinguistically uh dead they don't work that you can't neurolinguistically work with them um it's not that the ideas are, are are bad the ideals but it's like yeah so there there's a neurolinguistic disconnect so this the forces might force the existing structure to um you know, Trump was really good for the old structure. You know, he gets the economy going. That's the old structure. And the old structure is is great if you're a part of the old structure. But a great deal of humanity is not part of the old structure. So it doesn't work. Trump's capitalism is great for the old structure, but it doesn't work for everybody. And that's not even Trump's fault. That's the old structure. So we need a new structure that works for everybody, including the people in the old structure, you know. So I, I would like to be optimistic about this. And if it's a virus, and, and part of the old structure is people figuring out the conspiracy of the virus and saying, ah, it's the Illuminati coming after you. But it may not be that at all. It's, the, it's life turning its heads on its heels so that we can have a new structure and have a different world. We mm -hmm. hope that different world is a better world.
Well, uh, it's interesting that you're bringing this all up because halfway through this podcast, I got this hit to to want to ask you actually about the Saturn moving into Aquarius this week. I don't know why I did because there's no, uh, you know, you haven't talked anything about astrology, but is I didn't realize. Aquarius this week? It is? Yeah. So Saturn moves into Aquarius. And it's so interesting because last night I have this group called Alchemy and I, on the call last night, I was informing them that, you know, Saturn's moving into Aquarius, which means we're finally going to see the bigger lessons of the hard lessons that we need for to gain wisdom to come through in a very kind of freedom fighting way for sovereignty, sovereignty of the individual, sovereignty of a nation, sovereignty of the planet, and that it's all tied into technology and um, invention and the visionaries and all of that. And that over the next four years, there may be quite a bit of movement towards perhaps patents getting approved and certain technologies that we've been hearing about that would very much help humanity and the planet itself maybe might make some progress towards being released. Well, that sounds very delightful. And I think you answered the question very well. You answered your own question better than I could answer it. And uh, it's, it's, it's very helpful. And if Saturn's moving out of Capricorn, that's uh, it's done its work. Yeah, it moves out of Capricorn on the 21st. It retrogrades back into Cap um, uh, at the end of June for about six, five and a half months. So halfway through December. And then it goes back into um, Aquarius for the next three years. At that point, it will, it will do the things that it didn't get done. And it'll, it'll, it's the, the final review. And, and that will uh, apply to a lot of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. So. Uh, maybe, maybe the air will lift with with the, with the spring. I the feel air- that I I do feel like that there is a very much a silver lining to this whole thing. And I talked about it last night on on the call with everyone that you know these moments in life are here to give us opportunities to take everything that we're learning through our own personal development, our own spiritual development, everything that we're understanding and understanding how we're the creators of our own reality and everything that we see outside of us is a projection of what's um, inside of us. So how do we then become the people that we've always wanted to be, you know, this higher version of ourselves by in a moment of panic where everyone else around us is in panic, how do we then make choices that don't feed that, but in in actuality, um, take it to the other polarity of calmness. And and so this is an opportunity for many of us to put into action all of the things we've been learning, all of the, the work we've been doing. It's not just about the meditation, which is great, but now all of the wisdom and understanding that we've learned, how do we now integrate and implement it into action so that we can actually be the change that we've been wanting to see right now? Because I feel like we're given an opportunity through this whole situation. I agree with you. Thank you. Yeah. So it's just, um, yeah, everyone on the call, Saturn's going to be in Aquarius when this comes out. So (laughs) Um, that's a good thing because for anyone who's on the call who isn't aware, Aquarius energy is very much about integrating the higher wisdom, the spirit, the higher self into this moment and about learning and, and having your wisdom come from a higher place versus the spoon fed old structures that have been feeding you, um, up until now. So on a mass level, the collective, I, I get the sense that we're going to start to see more mass awakenings happening, how that happens and at what varying degree all depends on each individual's journey and, and their soul imprints. But 
I do believe that we're going to start to see more awakenings happening through this um, star alignment happening, the planetary um, alignments. So well, thank you for sharing that. Exciting times we're in. Peter, I, I loved having you on today. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of your wisdom. Can you let our audience know the books that you've got written, where they can find it all? I know you mentioned at the beginning, but um, I'll give you a chance right now to just kind of shout out to everywhere that you're. You can see the books that I've written at, at skybooksusa.com, www.skybooksusa.com. I would also invite people to uh, research or, or visit the Time Travel Education Center. Com. And my books are available on Kindle, Nook, iTunes, in ebook format. And, uh, and you can see the different ones. I, I would start, I recommend people start out with the Montauk Project, the Silver Anniversary Edition, or they want to read about the Romanian adventures, Transylvania Sunrise. One of those two books uh, is, is good starting places. Amazing. I'm definitely getting them. Definitely. I know I'm going to be curling up on my couch, staying okay, inside. Well, and... <laughs> I, I look forward to coming back with you because I, and I will also pay you a compliment. <laughs> the last time I did a show, Douglas said, and I'll, I'll send you the link on Douglas. But the last time I did a show, he says, well, what did you talk about? Uh, you know, I mean, you want to tell us about the show? I said, no, I said, it was just, it just can't stop. I'm, I'm so tired of talking about this stuff, but your show was, was, uh, it was fresh. It was, I got to speak some very important, uh, fresh truths. Um, so I thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I appreciate you allowing the conversation to go in a different direction because, um, I, I'm, was very pleased to be able to take it in that direction. I love talking about that stuff and I'd love to have you back on the show and perhaps maybe Douglas may want to come on the show. Yeah, I'd love to talk I, to him. I, I think, I think he will, uh, I think you would like that. So I, I will send you a link and, and, you know, I'll send you a link. You can get a, a, a drift of who he is and then you can uh, listen to his uh, show, which can be, a, you never know what the hell his show is going to be about. I never know what it's going to be about. It's, uh, but anyway, he's got, he's got a loyal following. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for being on the show. And to our audience, thank you again for joining us this week. It's such a pleasure to have you um, be with us. And, uh, Stay safe, stay calm, and just take care of yourself. Um, prepare accordingly for anything that may happen, but always stay in a calm place and know that you have total control over creating your reality and don't feed into the panic. Thank you, Peter, and thank you to our audience. We'll be back with you next week. Bye. Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. If any of you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests that you would like to hear on our show, please email that information to us at info at enlightenup.us or send us a voice message using the Anchor app. There's a super cool feature on there that allows you to send us a message or ask us a question with a touch of a button right from the app. And please continue to support us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you haven't checked out Nicole's channel on YouTube yet, head on over there for some more insight from her, or you can visit her website, inflexibleme.com, where you can book a personal coaching session or a tarot reading, watch some of her most informative videos, or you can sign up for her newsletter. And if you're interested in some light language healing, head to my YouTube channel, lisaloveslove.com, or send me an email to lisa at lisaloveslove.com to inquire about your own personal reading. 
Thank you again for joining us and supporting us. And we'll be back with you all next week.